0: to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. Thank you for being with us tonight. Tonight... We are going to look into the life, ministry, and legacy of one of the greatest men in the Bible. I'm talking about John the Baptist. So, why don't we pray and get our hearts ready for what's about to come down? Lord, thank you so much for your glory. Lord, you revealed your glory, Lord, through Adam, and through Noah, Lord, through Abraham, Lord, through Elijah. Moses, Lord, and, and on and on. Lord, through all the Old Testament prophets, Lord, and then come to John the Baptist. What a special person that you've revealed your glory through. Lord, he gets to point to the full revelation of you in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for all the faithful men who have lived, who have faithfully taught through the Bible, Lord. It has stood the test of time, and we can trust it, and believe it, Lord, so thank you so much for your goodness. We pray that you would bless tonight. Holy Spirit, would you come and enlighten us, be close to us, show us what we cannot see, teach us what we do not know. Lord, that we may see you and our lives may be changed. In your name we pray, amen. All right, as you know, we are going through the gospel of John, so you can get ready to go there. However, we're going to start in Luke 1 because in Luke is one of the best locations to find out about the beginning of John the Baptist. And usually it's around Christmas time that you read this section and you know the story. His John John the Baptist's dad, his name was Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest and this year he was chosen to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. while he's there, Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, shows up and tells him he's going to be a grandpa-daddy. And a a grandpa-daddy is when you're old enough to be a grandpa, but you're going to have a baby of your own. And so, (laughs) but because he's in this grandpa stage, he's doubting it. And so look at Luke 1. Verse 18, and look what look what happens here. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, <laughs> I love this, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent here to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Oops. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have doubted Angel Gabriel in the middle of giving incense in the Holy of Holies in the temple. But later on, Mary, who is carrying the miraculous conception of Jesus, she comes into the presence of Elizabeth. And look at Luke one thirty nine. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb!' And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Wow. Elizabeth just got a whole lot of information that Mary didn't even tell her. Because she's carrying a prophet in her womb. That doesn't blow you away. I... This is an amazing part of scripture. This is the beginning of the life of John the Baptist. In Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus calls John the greatest man to ever be born of a woman. And John is a fascinating character. He is the last Old Testament prophet. And he is the first New Testament preacher. He bridges the gap. And if you remember the word that had been spoken about a prophet, you know, or that it had, been, it had been 430 years that there hadn't been a prophet in Israel. And so this was, this was a very dark time. And then on the scene comes this man wearing camel skin and living off the land, eating grasshoppers and honey. My son Zeke is thinking, hmm, that wouldn't be so bad. Hmm, make that happen. But John the Baptist, born to a prestigious family of a miraculous birth. And if you remember at his birth, remember what happened? Like John hadn't, or I'm sorry, Zachary had been talking this whole time. And they're like, he goes to a circumcision eight days after his, his birth. And they're like, what should we name him? And Elizabeth is like, We're gonna name him John. And they're like, Oh no, you can't none of your relatives are named that. You can't you can't name him John. Like, Zechariah, what what should we name the child? And they're like, you know, motioning to him. And Zechariah said, Bring me a tablet. And he took a tablet and he wrote John. And he says, His name shall be John. And it came out of his mouth at the same time. And everybody's like, Whoa. And then the phrase is, Everybody wondered what is going to become of this baby? Because special, miraculous things were happening around John the Baptist. And so with that kind of birth, and with the prestigious place that Zechariah was in the temple, John would have elevated quickly in the temple system. He would have been respected. He would have had opportunities. But no, instead... He's out in the wilderness preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which wasn't the most popular thing to preach in that day. So turn with me to John 1, and let's see what becomes of this miraculous baby, and what makes him the greatest man to ever be born. We're going to look at three elements of the life and ministry of John, so that you'll have an example to follow. And be just as bold in the trying times that we live in. The three elements we're going to look at is is his calling, his character, and his commitment. So the first element is in the life of John the Baptist is his calling. Look at John 1.6. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to, bear bit, wit, he came to bear witness about the light. Now remember, John the Baptist, he's a character in the book of the Gospel of John, but he's not the author. The author is the Apostle John, who at the time that this book's being written is exiled on the island of Patmos. And so he's transcribing everything he remembers and um, about about Jesus, and and one of the first people he mentions here is John the Baptist. So he's he's bringing attention that John the Baptist's calling, again, look at verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That's his mission. That's his goal. And he's bringing attention to the light. You know, because of all the darkness... People would respond to the light in different ways. And light can be presented to people in different ways. Let me illustrate, okay? In the darkness, in the darkness, light has a greater effect. Right now, your eyes are dilating, that means they're adjusting to the little bit of light that's in this room. And so your pupils are getting bigger and bigger. Now, some people that sh- want to share the light in the world um, sometimes they come at you a little bit like this: "Hey, what have you have you heard of Jesus? Right?" And just blast you with the gospel, right? And it can be a little offsetting. Now, now John the Baptist had his own way, right? When it was when he had the Pharisees, and, the, and we'll look at this a little bit later in the text, and he was like, you brood of vipers? What what, what made you call, you know, <laughs> what made you run from the wrath of God, right? And so he's blasting these, these self-righteous Pharisees. Now, there is another way to present the gospel. And if you have one of your candles, um, lean to somebody who has a lighter. And those who have lighters, light them up. And if you have a candle, light your candle. Now, Please be very careful with these candles. Try to hold them up straight as much as possible because we don't want a lot of wax all over the place. These should be dripless candles, um, but don't don't let them, try not to let them drip. We're going to do this quickly. Okay, see how everybody's lighting up? So look, the more and more, the more and more that the light comes, you see now you can start seeing people's face. You can see what's going on. And so this, this is an effective way to share the gospel. It's gentle. It's kind. It's built on friendships, right? And so as you, as you are spreading the light, you're making a difference. Now, we live in a cancel culture. So now everybody who does not have a, cancel, uh, have a candle, cancel the person that does. Reach. Don't stand up. Don't stand up or lean over. Just try to blow their candle out. Those who have the candle, try to keep it from happening. Come on, everybody. <laughs> so right, we can turn the lights back on. So, John came to bear witness about the light. And you, if you are in Christ, then you have that light. You know, if someone is seeking the truth, don't hit them with a flashlight, right? If someone's trying to blow out your candle, you, you know, you may have to, with that kind of person, you may have to be like, you know, whoa, back up, what do you, you know, you need to repent, like, get away from my candle. I don't know, that's probably not the best illustra- uh, analogy there, but you get the point. This is in First Thessalonians 4, um, you, can, you can write it down of how you deal with different people, how you deal with those who are discouraged, how you deal with those who are um, weak, and how you deal with those who are unruly or rebellious, right, for people who are hard-hearted, Um, Sometimes you have to hit them a little harder. But for those who are seeking or asking questions, they're here, you know, give them a candle. Light them up. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's read our Bible together. Let's get together and go through some stuff. Now, um, for John, he came to bear witness about the light. And if you are in Christ, that is your calling too. That is the calling of John. The second element of the life of John is his character. Look at John 19. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and he did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sin us. What do you say about yourself? Notice, through this whole interaction, John doesn't say much, does he? And it's noteworthy that he never promotes himself. You can't appreciate no one's going on here until you know who some of these people are. In verse 19, you have the Jews, you have priests, and you have these Levites. And we, we know The Pharisees are involved later on in verse 24. What do all these guys have in common? All of these guys, these Levites, these Pharisees, the Jews, they're all very self-righteous. I've I've got the right thing. And everybody needs to do what I tell them to. They create a standard unto themselves and then demand other people submit to their worldview. They worship themselves and have ceremony and ritual so they can virtue signal to as many people as possible. In the other Gospels, John the Baptist calls them brood of vipers. And he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? They were enemies of truth, enemies of Jesus, enemies of anyone who do not agree with their point of view or hold to some legalistic standard as them. And our culture is filled with these people as well. They may not come across as religious because they go to a church, but they are filled with their own self-righteousness that I have this way, and you need to submit to this way. You need to bow to my idea about this, or we can't have any conversation. So when these people, when they ask, who are you? What they're really saying is, who do you think you are? All of these people are coming out and listening to you. And you're telling them how to know God. But nobody's checked with us first. It's like they were asking the same question when they asked Jesus in chapter 2. He says, who gives you the authority to do this? Don't you know that we're the authority? You need to check with us. And so he confesses. He doesn't deny he confesses. He goes, I'm not the Christ. John plays it so cool. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't puff out his chest and say who am i i'm the son of zachariah i was birthed and taken care of by elizabeth in her old age you don't know who i am he doesn't even drop name drop and say well god is the one who sent me to baptize with water he stays humble they come right back at him they say what then are you elijah you can't help feel that it's a little sarcastic And what's fascinating is that at this point, John the Baptist could have said, yeah, I do. I I am coming in the spirit of Elijah. Because the Elijah reference comes from Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It's the last words of the Old Testament prophet. And he says, behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. They knew Elijah would precede the Messiah's coming. But the reality is that John the Baptist did partly fulfill this role. I get that from Matthew 7, 12. You can just write that down. I'm sorry, 17, 12. Jesus said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into eschatology, and I would love to right now. But Jesus, we know that people thought that the Messiah would come as a king and as a conquering king, because all the Old Testament prophets talk all about the Messiah coming and reigning and conquering. But that's for his second coming. What they missed was a different text in like Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53, that he will come as a baby, he will come as a sacrificial lamb first, and that Jesus that this Messiah was coming in two parts. And so in that second part, when he comes as a king, you have these two witnesses in Revelation who come before him, which is Elijah and the power of Elijah, and I believe the other one is going to be Moses. And they're going to come back to this earth and prophesy against this world before Christ comes back. But before then, you have Jesus coming to sacrifice and to die for our sins. And so the person that comes before him in this case is John the Baptist, In the spirit of Elijah. And so I think John the Baptist knows that. But he doesn't allude to it. He doesn't talk about it. So they come at him again. Are you the prophet? And they're referencing the prophet that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18. And John's answers are getting shorter and shorter. I love this. He's like, I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. He doesn't use any words to promote himself. We could learn a lot from that. We live in such a superficial culture. We're so obsessed with who we are and who we want to present ourselves to be, what people think of us. You know, I'm something special. I'm important. I'm unique. And so we put so much value on our social media likes and comments and stuff like that. And, you know, we really have have to fight against the desire to prop ourselves up because, you know, 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want to be remembered in this world, then forget yourself. If you want to be great, then become small. Look at verse 22 again. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sin us. What do you say about yourself? You see what they're doing here? They they say, those who sin us. It's like the kids saying, mom said that you can't do that. You know, they're they're saying, who do you think you are that you can deny the authority that comes from the Jews? And John teaches a very important lesson about humility. Here it is. This is very important. If you want to practice humility, then do not get into debates with angry, self-righteous people. Just be like, no, man, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. You need to repent and come to Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to debate with you about all this stuff that you're bringing up. And you know why he was so cool about this or so confident about this? They say, what do you say about yourself? And he goes, verse 23, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That's great. You know why? John's identity was not in his own self-worth or what he could conjure up. Where was John's identity? Where did he say, I identify with what? What says about me? I identify with what the Bible says about me. That's my identity. And you might be thinking, because that's what we need to do as well, right? If you're going to be humble, You need to identify with what God says about you, what the Bible says about you. You're like, yeah, but I don't have some cool thing like a voice crying in the wilderness, making straight the paths of the Lord. I don't have that. Oh, Au contraire. You have that and more, and a lot more that is said about you. Listen to Luke 7, 28. It says, among those who are born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. If you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you are in the kingdom. And maybe you are just a baby in the Lord, but you are greater than John the Baptist. Because you have more revelation than John had. You have, he had a candle and you have stadium lights. You have a greater perspective about what God's doing and what Christ came to do. Do you realize John never got to see Jesus Christ crucified. He was killed before that time. He didn't get he does not he did not have the privilege of knowing what you know. And so you in the kingdom are greater and the Bible says greater things about you than being a voice crying in the wilderness. And I don't have time to go through all of these, but just listen to a few of them. You're chosen by God, holy and loved. You are the light of the world, a city set on the hill, Matthew 5.14. You are more valuable than many sparrows, Matthew 10. You are friends with God, John 15.7. You are the temple of God and the Spirit dwells in you, 1 Corinthians. You are Christ's body. You are the letter of Christ. You are the sons of God. You are led by the Spirit and not under the law. You are witnesses 1 Thessalonians 2:10 and Revelation 2:9 you are rich Do you believe what the Bible says about you or are you trying to get your wealth from some superficial cheap system that the world has created What made John great and impactful for the kingdom was his humility it wasn't about him it was about what the word said about him and his goal to point to christ so do these scriptures that i read do they give you purpose do they give you strength and peace do they motivate you to live does this what the scriptures say to you and i'm i'm going to meddle a little bit here maybe this is something you can talk about in your small group does what the scriptures say about you mean more than what your parents think about you? Does it mean more than your boss's favor? Does it mean more than your professor's respect? Does it mean more than your spouse or your hopeful spouse's love? John the Baptist drew his power and his peace from the purpose he received from the scriptures. And so then after that, it didn't matter what people thought of him. He he was he was freed up from ego through these horizontal relationships. He only cared about his vertical relationship and pleasing God. Humility does not consider itself worthy of respect or worthy to be defended. Look at verse 25. He goes on. Some back in Luke, John 1, 25, and he says, Now they were sent by the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John says, you're concerned about me. You're worried about me, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Do you think, I just picture Jesus standing close by. Just smiling as he's looking at John and just so pleased with the boldness of his cousin. You know, John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal, the dirtiest, stinkiest part of the body. I'm not even worthy to touch that. Yeah, I hope you understand that this is not a low view of self. John is not, doesn't have a low view of himself. He has a high view of Jesus a difference. It's not to self-deprecate. It's to Christ elevate. That's humility. John says, I'm just an unworthy messenger. Not even worth defending myself. Not worth a debate. I'm nothing. But he's everything. The lower John got, the more he understood who Jesus Christ was and what he had come to do. So to be effective for Christ, to build the kingdom, you need to take on character of humility that John had. We come to the third element of the life of John. And this is his commitment. Look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's got to be one of the greatest (laughs) phrases in all the Bible. This is And I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is one of the most powerful moments in John Baptist's life because he's saying he feels it coming to culmination that the Lamb of God is on the scene. And he's saying, that's him. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, there's an exclamation point on the end of that. If if your Bible's written correctly, (laughs) you have an exclamation point right before verse 30. And there should be. Um, It was Jesus dying on the cross was the greatest endeavor the world has ever known. Do you make a big deal about it? Is it a big deal in your own heart? Or is it easier to make a big deal about sports or politics? when Darren Bale becomes the new governor of Illinois, that is going to be a great day. But do I make a bigger deal about that, or do I make a bigger deal about Jesus Christ? And when my t- team wins this weekend, after a big defeating loss to a no-name team, will I make a bigger deal about their win than I will about Jesus Christ? Just It's an opportunity for you to check your heart. What is what is What are you committed to? John the Baptist was committed to Jesus Christ and his coming, even to the point that he was willing to lose his own disciples to it. And so you look in verse 35, it says, the next day again, so this is interesting, he's baptized Jesus, then he saw Jesus come, and he said, behold the Lamb of God, and then the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, verse 35, and verse 36 he says, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. John was so committed to the life of Jesus Christ that he was telling his own little congregation, his own followers, that's the one you need to follow. That's the one you need to go to. That's the only reason I'm here is to point you to him. Believer, that's the reason you were saved. That's the reason that Christ redeemed you and paid for your sins was so that you could point to Christ and say, that's the one you need to go to. That's the one that can save your sins. There's a lot to be said about his John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. There's a lot of neat stuff that happened there I'll just say that all throughout the Old Testament water is always referred to as judgment you have the flood in Genesis 6 with Noah later on you have in Genesis you have the Exodus and they, they crossed the Red Sea and you remember Pharaoh's heart was hardened and so he chased after them and as he was going across the Red Sea it collapsed on them and water killed them Remember in Jonah that we got to preach through this last year? When Jonah was in the boat and they they were like, what have you done? Why have you sinned? And the storm's raging. They threw him over into the water. And the water did what? What happened to the storm when Jonah hit the water? It stopped. Jonah hitting the water appeased the wrath of God. And then the fish came and saved Jonah. And we have the great text that says, and just like the sign of Jonah and the fish saved him, you will be saved through the cross. Jesus came to appease the wrath of God. And so John is baptizing with water, showing that this is the wrath of God. And when Jesus Christ is baptized by John down into the water and he comes up and God speaks audibly and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased in that moment, he's saying, "My son is going to take the wrath for all the sins of the world because he's the only one worthy to be able to do that. He's the only one that I'm pleased with who has the righteousness to take that on." That's what's going on with the baptism, and so when John's like, "I'm not I'm like I'm not going to baptize you. Like you should like baptize me," I, you know we got this backwards here, Lord. And and Jesus says. No, it's it's to fulfill scripture. This is important. Because he was setting up the symbolism of what would happen in his death. In um Luke seven, nineteen, John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying. And this is at the end of John's life. And it, again, thinking about John's commitment, John's commitment to the Lord, to Jesus. He's in, um, he's in jail, and he's facing a death sentence. And he's like, hmm, I hope I got this right. I hope it is the Lord. I mean, he had a lot of evidence, but mm, I hope I'm not wrong. Um, and Jesus, no, I'm sorry, John, John the Baptist in jail, calling two of his disciples. He said to them, go to the Lord. And ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall I look for another? And in Luke 7, 20, he says, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, Jesus. And he's just saying, are you the one who is to come or we should should we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John. What have you, what you've seen and heard? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. We're given the same opportunity today. This is right and true. You know more than John the Baptist did. Are you going to put your commitment in Jesus Christ? Or are you going to be ashamed of him in the world? When the world's bearing down and trying to blow out your little bitty candle, are you going to be bold and say, no, this is right and this is true and I'm committed and I know you're coming after me, but you really need to go to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and you will find peace, my friend. Do you hear us call? Are you willing to put on the character of humility, to deny yourself, give up this life, and follow Christ? Will you commit to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who will take away your sins at the cross? If you need your sins forgiven tonight, go to Him. He will take your sins and He will forgive you and make you clean. Humble yourself and go to Him, and He will give you a calling allow you to commit to such a greater life than what you would have chosen on your own it's a wonderful life